it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I please have your attention? Can you dig it? Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, returning. Uh, from the wilderness, I mean, I'm, I'm technically still way out west. I'm in the San Juan Islands, but um, there are fewer grizzly bears here than where I was two days ago. And um, uh, I will just, I will confess up front, I'm a little rusty. Um, I haven't been this uh, tuned out from current events. Um, I think been trying to think one of the last time I skipped two columns and a G file. And I, I think you have to go back to my honeymoon, which is 19 years ago this week, by the way. Um, and, uh, um, so I'm a, I'm a little out of it. So I thought I would just have, uh, my amenuensis Nick on and he could fill me in on what I've missed and we can talk about some of it and also just fill readers in on what I've been up to. Uh, I should say listeners. Um, we don't have transcripts of this yet, which we're going to get by the way. Um, so that I can't really refer to readers, but anyway, uh, delighted to be here. Today's episode is brought to you by, uh, our friends at express VPN, our friends at the Bradley foundation and our friends at car shield more about all three of those guys in a little bit. Um, and that's about it. So hi, Nick. <laughs> Hello. Uh, where on earth have you been? That's the real, that's okay. The real so, question. um, lots of people know that I do these crazy road trip things. My family is somewhat addicted to this stuff. Um, and it used to be back when I didn't have like a TV deal kind of thing. There was literally just zero reason to be in DC in August. And so we would drive cross country to where I am right now, which is in the San Juan islands, North of Seattle, closer to Vic, uh, Victoria, one of the most beautiful places in America. And if anybody ever has a chance to come here, even for a day trip, they should. Um, it's where I got married. Uh, my, my oldest sister-in-law, Alex, has a fantastic house here. It's where my wedding was. Um, it's up on a mountain. You can see all the way to Victoria. Sunsets last for like four hours. Um, if you define bad summer weather by, you know, the uh, sweat pant crotch fog that takes over Washington, D.C. in August, this is the opposite end of it. It's just perfect weather when it's, you get a little rain, but it's fine. Um, but it's mostly blue skies, 74 degrees kind of thing. Fantastic. Um, so anyway, that's where I am now. I just got back from Alaska yesterday. And before that, so what happened was my wife and daughter, they went on, my wife, my daughter's in a bit of a funk. She got pulled out of that program in Spain 
Um, she's got all of this school planning stuff and Zoom stuff that she's got to do. She's got to practice for the SATs. Uh, she's really bummed about all the stuff that she missed because of Spain, whatever. And so my wife and daughter decided to go on an adventure. So they kind of Thelma and Louise'd it a while ago and drove to, to New England. They did Maine. They did that kind of stuff. They, uh, we've acquired a couple of years ago when we did an RV trip. Um, they particularly like it. I can't say I'm in love with it, in love with it, but it makes sense during a pandemic. They spent a couple nights sleeping in the parking lots of Walmarts in our nice. SUV. Um, and, uh, anyway, they made it out to Jackson hole where I flew out and met them. We spent a few days there, which was great. Did some serious hiking and whatnot. And then from there, we drove down to Idaho, where we met with the rest of her family, or not the rest of her, but a big chunk of it, about 14 members of her family, including kids. And we did this long planned sort of family reunion adventure thing where we rafted on the Snake River in, um, in aptly named Hell's Canyon. <laughs> um, and uh, I know. This might be a surprise to some people, but I am not entirely well suited to the roughing it camping life. Um, uh, I um, I'm not as live as I once was. So like getting in and out of rafting boats and sleeping on the ground and all that kind of stuff is not my normal go to behavior. But it was fantastic. And I'd, it's a part of the country I really knew very little about the snake river can or the the death uh, hell's canyon not to be confused with death canyon where when hiking in wyoming lots of horribly named geographic sites i went to um hell's canyon is i believe the lowest canyon river in either north america or the united states it's technically lower than um grand canyon but it doesn't feel like it because they measure that it's like there are all these places that do these things. I'm convinced that like the chamber of commerce got together and the, what, what's the best spin we can put on this. So like the Mauna Kea, the volcano mountain thing in, in on the big Island in Hawaii claims to be the tallest mountain in the world measured from the seafloor. Uh, <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> it's kind of like cheating. And so huh. death Canyon claims to be the deepest Canyon. But the thing is, they measure the the height of the canyon walls five miles out from where the river is. So you don't see uh -huh. that. You just see these lower-lying, significant, really inhospitable mountains closer in. And um, But it was great. And um, saw some rattlesnakes, some bighorn sheep. Um, turns out that I, we learned in the safety talk that the vast majority of people who are injured by snake by rattlesnake bites in the United States are like males between 14 and 24 because which they, makes perfect sense it makes total sense because a they tend to pee on them by accident and b uh, they tend to drop pine cones or rocks on them to see if they're real because <laughs> young men are stupid right right and uh, but we learned uh, only after the fact we've one of my nieces a bunch of my my daughter and a bunch of nieces and nephews we're hiking up on this big rock to pose for pictures and stuff. And it was a cool rock. And then one of my nieces puts her hand back and it's right next to a baby rattlesnake. And you look at it. I mean, it's tiny, you know, it looked like a garter snake almost, but it was definitely a rattlesnake. And 
we only learn later that baby rattlesnakes tend to be more dangerous than big rattlesnakes because the baby rattlesnakes haven't figured out how to distinguish between threats and non-threats. So they just, mm. and normal rattlesnakes don't want to empty their venom sacs of all their venom. So, but the babies will just bite indiscriminately for out of fear. Did mm. not know this at the time, or we would not have let all these kids like take pictures and show me the snake, that kind of thing. So that was a little, right. um, yeah. and, uh, it's interesting. So, uh, the way I understand it, Hell's Canyon is um, where all of these homesteaders went in the late 1800s after all the really good land was taken in like Nebraska and Kansas and that kind of thing. So these people, they homesteaded in this unbelievable, I mean, it's, 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 it's called Hell's Canyon for freak's sake. And these homesteaders, they, they, they built their own, they packed in all of their stuff and built these what now look like shacks the ones that are left most of them um on these slight you know uh these small little level spots on the canyon wall and planted orchards and 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 raised sheep and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. some of them are still still there and they're in these amazing spots and one of the really cool things was that the orchard survived like so no one lives there anymore but um, all over the place, there are these like, uh, wild growing apricots and plums and apples. And it's a little Edenic in that sense. And they're all, yeah. they're all near mountain, these really cold freshwater mountain creeks. Cause the way the irrigation works, you couldn't really take a lot of water up from the river. And so the kids just had just a fantastic time. Um, the rapids were pretty cool but few and far between because the water was a little low. And so there's a lot of lazy rafting. Um, and, uh, um, but we, one day we went into this thing called the, the green room on snake river, which there are YouTube videos of it. And it, it was a serious class four thing. And at one point we were perpendicular to the water facing straight down and dropped like eight feet. And it was, that was pretty wild. Um, you learn a lot about whitewater rafting that I didn't know with like just how incredibly dangerous it is. If you don't know what you're doing, like some little swirl that looks like a, just a little eddy actually can just drag your body down and hold you at the bottom of the water, which I would prefer not to do. Uh, and then after that we uh, flew, we, we, we finished the rafting thing and we flew to Juno and met up with a friend of mine's uh, very nice boat. And we went to a bunch of places. We went to this place called Tracy Arm, where there was this amazing glacier. And I have a considerable Alaska experience because of my wife's family. So I'd done this before, but I love doing it. So glacier ice, and people can look at my Twitter feed. Glacier ice is so much denser than normal ice. That's why it looks like it gets this crazy deep blue because light can't refract through it the same way and it doesn't have as much oxygen in it. And um, we used to do this on my father-in-law's fishing boat. You go out and you grab a big piece of glacier ice and you put it in a cooler and that's your cocktail ice for the rest of the trip. And because glacier ice is so compacted, there's so so little oxygen in it, it's like the ever go- everlasting gobstopper of ice and it <laughs> melts like a fourth as quickly as normal ice. 
So like you can refill your whiskey, which I tend to do, um, several times on the same chunk of ice in your glass. Wow. The downside is, and it's a common joke. Um, I thought it was a common joke in my family, but when I posted that picture on Twitter, lots of people made the same joke. You never know if this is the piece of ice that has the 10,000 year old zombie virus frozen in it, you know, and right. or whether you're getting an inordinate supply of frozen dinosaur urine or something because it's sure. really, really old ice. Um, but that was super cool. Um, we saw a bunch of humpback whales, which was really neat. And probably the best thing that we did, though, is we went to this place called Admiralty Island, um, which Alaskans know about. Um, um, I didn't really know anything about. It has the most bears of any place in the United States. Um, in fact, it has more bears on this one island. It's a big island. It's a big island. But it has more bears on this island than are in the entire lower 48 combined. To the Lord. And it's it's. It's funny, the big running joke on this trip was that because I'm such a city kid, I can only translate geographic things into uh, urban distances. So like every diving rock kids jumped off of or every summit we got to, I, they would say, oh, it's 200 feet. Oh, my God, that's 20 stories, you know, because that's the only way. <laughs> and the population density of grizzly bears, not black bears, but grizzly bears on Admiralty Island is something like two bears per square mile, which oh, is Lord. just enormous because bears normally are very spaced apart because they have huge domains. And, um, um, and so that would be like one bear for every 10 square blocks in Manhattan. And, <laughs> um, uh, and so we got to see really up close a whole bunch of bears grabbing salmon out of the streams. And, um, we even saw in the morning, there were the baby, when they're at low tide at Admiralty Island, the grizzly bears will come down to the shoreline and go clamming. And this mama bear brought her two baby bears down to go clamming, which is among other things, really freaking adorable. And, and I, you know, bear propaganda, I'm still believing all that they will eat you bears. Bears really are kind of evil creatures because they kill for fun. Hmm. Um, like ranchers will talk about how they'll kill all of their sheep and just eat the best parts. Um, the grizzly bears at this time of year, they'll catch hundreds of salmon, but they'll only eat like, uh, the eggs from them. They'll only eat the eggs or the brains and leave the rest lying around for all the birds and other critters to come get. Um, and like we learned in Denali earlier this year that, you know, grizzly bears there will sometimes kill baby bear, male grizzly bears will kill the baby bears so that they can mate again with the females. I mean, they're, 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 they're mean, but well, they're damn cute. I mean, that's part of their, <laughs> right? if they, if they, if they look like reptiles, we would have killed them a long time ago. But at one point we came back from this bear tower out in the bush um, that overlooks the stream, which was really cool. You see all these salmon trying to still swim upstream. And, um, um, and we had to stay in the tower for like 20 minutes because we spotted one bear really close to the trail and we did not want to come down and scare it, um, for, because I would like to keep my face on my skull for a little while longer. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, when we made it back to the beach, the tide had come in. And so the beach shrunk from being this really wide thing to this really narrow thing. And, um, the mama and the baby bears were back. 
and the park ranger who was down there, um, who, who lives on an island like 200 yards away and camps there because no bears there and then canoes in every morning to deal with people. It's very hard to get to. You got to get permits and all this kind of stuff. Um, the baby mom and the baby bear were back and the baby bears, we thought when we saw them that they were dogs, which was surprised us, um, because they were like Pippa or Zoe chasing seagulls. They would wait for the seagulls to come back and, and on the beach. And then they would just come out of nowhere and try and scare them all away. Like, like wow, which was really cool. But the ranger was like pretty serious about don't, you know, uh, Let's we have to wait for the baby bears to go away because even though the bears are pretty habituated to humans on Admiralty Island, um, you're not going to be able to overcome the instincts of a mama bear protecting its babies. Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason why they're habituated, which is a thing I didn't really know that happened, um, is that there was a homesteader there in like in the 40s or 50s or maybe even the 30s who lived amongst the bears enough that the bears got used to having humans around without being threats. And because there's so much food, which is why there's so many bears to begin with because of the salmon, the bears don't know how tasty we are. And they go to great lengths to prevent the bears from tasting human food too. So that it's kind of a safe thing, but still it was, it was really pretty awesome. So yeah, a little bit of a, a deathifying danger too which is always kind of fun yeah um, no, i mean there's, there's there are few greater thrills in life than encountering bears and surviving um yeah i mean i mean between the wildlife and the and the rafting sounds I, I would imagine the most difficult part about the rafting thing which i believe you actually mentioned to me at one point once you came back online was the lack of bathing opportunities which is probably the most striking part of the journey in some yeah, ways. Yeah, I mean, um, bathing, the bathing thing was an issue, but it was so hot on the sunny days and almost every day was sunny that you're in the water so much so that you don't, you don't stink as much as you might. Um, mm-hmm. The, you know, this wasn't glamping, but the food was great. The people who, the rafting company that does this is called Row Adventures, R-O-W. I highly recommend them to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the guides were fantastic. Um, but I'm, and we don't need to get into the details on this, but, uh, going to the bathroom in a bucket loses <laughs> its charm fairly quickly. Um, oh. and, uh, but I mean, one of the really awesome things, I can't remember the last time I saw a nighttime sky without any light pollution. So. Mm-hmm. You could see the Milky Way. I mean, like just visibly with the naked eye, you could see the Milky Way. You could see, and I didn't really realize that this was a thing. And someone was telling me that astronomers are pretty pissed off about it. Um, you can actually see a lot of man-made satellites in the sky now. Whoa. And um, particularly these low orbit ones that Elon Musk puts up. And apparently someone, to- a brother-in-law of mine told me that they're like, I don't know, basketball sized or big, slightly bigger, whatever but they're super reflective. And so Musk responded to complaints by, he now paints them with a non-reflective material. So you can't see them in the sky. Um, But like Jupiter comes out at like seven o'clock at night or something. And, and then I guess Venus and then all the real stars come out, saw dozens of shooting stars. I mean, it was, it was really cool. It's like when you do stuff like that, or when you go to Alaska in winter, 
you get reminded that you're on a planet, you know, and you kind of mm. forget that you're on a planet, um, which is really cool, but also kind of, kind of humbling. So anyway, there's yeah. that. Hmm. Um, well, the, go on. the, um, the, uh, the world didn't exactly, um, how would you put it? Didn't get more mature or interesting while you were away. It kind of, uh, everything has continued to spiral downward. So you really, you really haven't missed much. Um, yeah, that was, that know. was my, my sense from the little stuff I followed up on. We can get back to that in a second, but, um, um, just so listeners know, I still have to drive home from, uh, the fair Jessica went back and, and relieved you of, of house sitting and cat sitting duty, which I appreciate. Um, and, uh, but we still got to drive back. And, and one of the problems that we ran into on the drive was, um, driving from Idaho, there's a lot of gravel and, um, it, which is a lot like Alaska. And, um, we got a nice giant crack in our windshield, which mm. really makes me regret that we haven't signed up for car shield already. You know, computer systems and cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But you can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost a fortune. And now is not the time for expensive repairs. And that's why you should have CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. The people at CarShield understand that payment flexibility is an absolute must. Monthly plans can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitments. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over one million customers so drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from america's number one auto protection company for as low as 99 dollars a month you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair call 800 car 6000 that's 800 car 6000 and mention code dingo or visit carshield.com and use the code dingo to save 10 percent that's carshield.com, code DINGO. A deductible may apply. Um, all right, so enough of, unless you have any burning questions about, you know, bear safety um, or pooping in a bucket, um, uh, what would you say, I mean, how, how's the Democratic Convention gone? I, I've literally, I've seen a couple clips, like, on the web, but I have not watched a minute of it. I haven't listened to it. A minute of it yeah. live. Um, is it working? Does the infomercial style no audience thing work? Um, that's a interesting question because it's a it's a weird mixture of things um, in terms of what you're actually looking at on the screen, um, which is pretty disconcerting. Actually, I, I will say one thing that pooping in a bucket just reminded me of is that that is now the one thing you have in common with Greta Thunberg is you have both pooped in a bucket. Um, I think that's about all you have in common. Greta Thunberg poops in a bucket. Uh, well, well, when she did her 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 travails across the Atlantic to come oh. to the UN, she just kind of threw threw her waist into the water, which is an interesting interesting thing for. There's a metaphor in there somewhere. 
Yeah, I guess so. Well, the weird thing about the the convention stuff is that you have, for instance, Kamala Harris giving a speech in a convention center. So you have something going on there. And then I don't know what they're doing with the seating in the place where she's speaking. It, It sounds like there are people in attendance but it must be incredibly spaced out or... or so the camera only, doesn't turn on the audience at all? Um, not that I've seen. Um, essentially what they did for her, that was the one that I, I um, watched all the way through and then watched bits and pieces of a bunch of other people's speeches and interviews and things like that. But she gave her speech, she walks away from the podium, and then truly this is becoming a traumatic thing because you're just seeing it over and over again in every commercial. Just a giant floor-to-ceiling screen with essentially Zoom boxes of people clapping. And so it's party activists and like the political hacks who are in the party machine and all of that stuff. And they're all just clapping away, like on mute on a television screen that's the size of the convention center, basically. So it's somewhat awkward um, the moment that you start to have the celebrations. But the speeches themselves seem to take place in convention centers, even though it seems that some of them are in different states, so there's not even really a consistency of location, things like that. It seems to me like the convention is a lot of the things that most of the people in the convention center wouldn't actually be paying attention to in a normal yeah. year are now the only things that you can broadcast. So everyone has to pay attention to you know the, the stupid like man on the street interviews that they do, um, all of these things, the things that would normally just be things that people would chatter over in the convention hall are now the things that everyone has to pretend to care about on Twitter. Yeah, I, I got a little sense of that from the stuff I was seeing, because, like, you know, this is, I think, only the second Democratic convention I've missed, maybe the third since 1988. I mean, I've been to a lot oh. of them, and I've only missed one Republican convention. And I've been going to them since I was an intern, um, um, since I was a child. And... uh <laughs> It's true. Like, you know, most journalists at the conventions, people, what people don't get about conventions is that they're really at minimum two conventions. There's the, there are media convention where we all get together, have drinks, make fun of politicians, uh, talk about layoffs at our companies and all that kind of stuff. And then the attitude among the journalists is like the politicians there are the entertainment for media convention <laughs> and uh um and then the politician types you know the party hacks and the delegates and all those guys it's we're their entertainment i mean not me necessarily but they're like oh my gosh it's katie couric or whatever you know and <laughs> see those people run around and so it's this weird parallel meta event behind the scenes um and the fact that that part of it isn't happening anymore really does make this, you know, it, Daniel Borston was a guy who coined the phrase pseudo event, where it's not a mm-hmm. real event. It's a, it's a contrived event that pretends to be a real event. And conventions have been toying with that for a very long time. But this seems to be the, for understandable reasons, there's a pandemic, but the, where it's become less of a sort of metaphorical statement and more of a, just a flat reality. Um, that, that's very striking too. Uh, when it comes to the actual celebrity content of of the whole programming, because I guess there's always—I mean, I don't know. Once again, you would know much better than probably anyone listening. But 
doesn't seem to me that you're getting that many uh, movie stars at the Republican National Convention, yeah. things like that. So it's this aspect that the Democratic Convention always seems to have had, right. is that you just also, in addition to sort of celebrities within politics and media, you actually had legitimately, basically, the celebrity class. Right. You had the sort of landed gentry who were sort of wandering around the convention hall along with everyone else. And now it's very weird because I think it was the first night for some reason, the person who's transitioning between speeches is Eva Longoria, yeah. you know, who's one of these people who, you know, might have been wandering around in previous years, but it's a little bit like, you know, seeing Sarah Silverman or something like that. You wouldn't expect this person to be sort of hosting the event, but they're sort of these B-list people who haven't really done anything in a very long time. So it's a little cringeworthy. Um, and it's also, I hate to say, I find it a little cringeworthy just because of some of the stuff that it seems that Biden is forced to do because night one of the convention seemed to be woke night, basically. Mm. They tried to get all of that wrapped up on the first night with the exception of AOC getting her like minute um, yesterday. Um, and that was to nominate but, Bernie, right? Yeah, effectively. She, she, she essentially nominates Bernie. Um, but that was almost the sole exception from what I saw. Um, pretty much all of the other wokey stuff, they fit into night one, part of which was having Joe Biden interviewing self-described anti-racism activists, which seems to me to be something that your presumptive nominee shouldn't be doing. Why, why is your presumptive nominee interviewing anyone? Shouldn't people be interviewing him, let alone Joe Biden talking about race with a bunch of anti-racism activists, which is about the most awkward thing I can imagine him doing? On the yeah, that, that sounds like it might be even more awkward than pooping in a bucket. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's rhetorically pooping in a bucket. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, just because we're talking about conventions, this is a point that Michael Barone first, I, I don't know if he was the first person to make the observation, but he was the first person that I found it. And I, you know, so I'm, I'm one of these minor G-file obsessions I have, I return to quite often is how, uh, particularly intellectuals don't care enough about the role of technology. You know, mm. um, you know, my, my, my standard line on this is that the automobile did more to dissolve and undermine settled ordered communities than any idea that escaped out of some sort of French salon. But mm -hmm. you can, you, you can argue with Sartre. You can't argue with a Buick, right? So it's like sure. the, drunk looking for his car keys where the light is good, um, people tend to downgrade the way technology changes culture and upgrade the way ideas change culture. It doesn't mean ideas aren't important, but I think the values we give them are misaligned. And um, anyway, so the point that Barone made was that um, one of the things that got, that, that put conventions on this path towards being infomercials, which has been a trend for a very long time. I mean, every four years, the pundit class, we dream of brokered conventions and it never comes to fruition, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember when the last brokered convention was, but it was a while ago. And anyway, so Barone makes the point that there are a bunch of reasons why this is happening. Primaries, which is another of my bugaboos, is a big part of it um, because the, the party bosses no longer make the decision at the convention the the base voters make it in the primaries and so it's a foregone conclusion who the nominee is going to be by the time you get to the convention but mm -hmm. the other part of it uh, which was barone's point is that the telephone 
fundamentally undermined conventions. It used to be that if you wanted to cut deals um, about who's going to be the nominee or the running mate or what kind of quid pro quo you're going to get to sweat, send your delegates to one guy or another, you couldn't do that stuff by mail. Because first of all, you didn't want to put anything on paper because then the guy you're negotiating with could use it as leverage to get a better deal from somebody else. And you didn't want to be on record promising things that would piss off your constituents. So you had to do it face to face. And that's why you had to show up physically at a convention and do all of these backroom negotiations and run back and forth between different constituencies to hammer something out. And then it was really FDR who used the telephone as this tool to impose order and discipline on his own party. It's one of the main tools he used to become president for life. You know, I mean, he's the only guy who was elected mm-hmm. to more than two terms, uh, which I honestly think is one of the great black marks against FDR. I mean, he was a president for life. If the tradition of two terms was enough for George Washington, um, it should have been enough for everybody. And it's why we had to amend the Constitution to deny anybody else using their power that way, the way FDR did. But be that as it may, you can sort of see how, like, if you take away the need for negotiations at a convention with a telephone and then you introduce the role of primaries, uh, it's inevitable that the conventions would turn into these pseudo events rather than actual events. Yeah. But it's um, to the point that you talk about, and for people with their remnant bingo cards, you can check this off now, um, to your point about the weakness of the parties, which is, I feel like on full display, I mean, I, I guess the, the the conventional wisdom sort of seems to be that this is all very lackluster and because it's a, a, effectively a Zoom convention, there's not a ton of interesting stuff going on, all of that. But it's got to be said, I did find the fact that night one is was woke night in which we have to have the, the, the self-described activists coming on and, and saying their piece and we have to get this woman... Uh, who's, you know, this really like crass, horrible moment that I'm sure you probably saw somewhere on social media of this woman whose father died of the coronavirus saying that her father's comorbidity was listening to Donald Trump and all of these things where it just comes off in this very, um, very intentionally, uh, whatever the opposite of red meat would be, <laughs> yeah. this kind of very uh, this mixture of of woke stuff with some populist left wing stuff and all of that. It it strikes me that that is so little of the base of people that want to vote for Joe Biden that I don't understand why it has to be a whole day of the convention. Uh, it's 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 kind of bizarre because I don't know who it's representing. I mean, I think the the polling about radical people on the left is that the people we associate with sort of left-wing radical Twitter makes up at maximum about 8% of the party. Um, so dedicating an entire evening's worth of programming to that seems very strange. And in the same and reverse way to the point about primaries, you have the same thing going on with like in the GOP to actual crazy people winning their primary nominations in the past week or so with this, this Marjorie Green. Yeah. QAnon lady, and then with Laura Loomer this week, who is like an actual insane person. Um, it just strikes me that that is that you are seeing on both sides the fact that you need to dedicate a whole evening's worth of programming to the intersectional crowd, which is an electorate that basically doesn't exist. Right. And if they do exist, it doesn't seem that they vote that much. And then on the other side, you have actual 
alt-right trolls. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fascinating. You know, uh, the total breakdown is so, it seems to be so quick. Like, that's the part that's so sh- striking to me. Yeah, so like, uh, I saw the Loomer stuff. I saw this Marjorie, whatever her name is, stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's affirmatively depressing. And then, you know, I mean, there was also the, you know, the, the good news that um, the long prophesied um, arrest of Steve Bannon by the postal police, right. um, um, I, which I believe is the oldest law enforcement agency in the United States. Uh, really? I could be wrong on that, but um, uh, there's a great episode of um, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they have a, a postal cop in there who's got a huge chip on his shoulder and has all these great stats about postal police, which I think are, were true. But anyway, um, but it does like I've been, I, I think everybody knows I've been kind of disgusted by politics for a while now and all that. And I, I, um, I think it's much less fun than it used to be. So it was very nice to just leave it for a while, but coming back and seeing like that Trump was dunking on Michelle Obama for understating the number of people who died from COVID. Um, and I, I did not take the time or the, dedicate the energy to figure out how to adjudicate this post office thing. Is it a full blown conspiracy by the left? Conspiracy theory by the left? Is there some merit to it? Cause like before I left, I wrote these columns about Trump's handling of the post office stuff and, and voting by mail was pretty outrageous. But then I see mm-hmm. that a lot of reasonable people are saying that the left is going overboard with this mailbox stuff. And I just haven't gotten to the bottom of it. So I've just sort of, sort of, put a pin in that and return to it later kind of thing. But there is this just feeling that the whole, that both parties are really just becoming um, grotesque aristocracies, you know, sort of uh, crapulent aristocracies that must pay lip service to populist passions in order to justify their status. Um, and so, like, as you point out, you know, the intersectionality really does not have a large electoral um, base out there, but it is a, the language of intersectionality is a shibboleth among uh, elites, the sort of meritocratic elites that populate HR departments that uh, mm. take all of the anti-racism stuff deadly seriously. And so you have to pay lip service to it as a signal, as sort of a virtue signal to elites that you're going to be taking their side on a lot of these sort of esoteric boutique culture war things. I mean, just think about it this way. The number of gay people in this country from, you know, uh, most legitimate social science puts it around two to 4% of the population. So the number of transgender people has got to be a hundredth of that, right? You know, right. and yet we bend the entire system around. I'm not, and again, I'm not for cruelty to transgender people and I want to treat everybody with dignity and all the rest. I mean, I, I think the idea of having men, you know, biological males compete in women's sports is an outrageous scandal and feminists should be ashamed of themselves. But, you know, uh, on the whole, it's not something, you know, drag queen story hour, I find grotesque and all that, but I don't think it's the the Archimedean lever upon which we should turn all of our politics. But 
the need to sort of signal that you're on both sides of those fights, I'm very curious how it moves actual voters, but what it does do is move power brokers within the, the sort of aristocracy of the party. And mm. what I find amazing and baffling is that it used to be on the right, the, that sort of signaling was stuff I could get down with. It was like supporting the troops, right? You know, like, um, you know, uh, honoring their sacrifice and supporting the police and these kinds of things, which, you know, I don't have to necessarily agree with every policy proposal that flows from that stuff, but as a cultural matter, you know, if, 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 if you're signaling that, I think it's a good thing, you know, it's a sort of normal patriotic thing, but now like with Trump signaling that QAnon is part of the coalition, right. <laughs> the conservative coalition, that's bat guano crazy. And it's very depressing to me. And, um, and I saw that like Liz Cheney and Ben Sass condemned it. And I saw that Jeb Bush condemned it, but, um, uh, the cowardice of people, you know, to me, it's very analogous. You know, I've, and I've made this point a bunch of times on this and podcast and on the dispatch podcast, the, I, I know from people who were in the room with Donald Trump trying to persuade him that he needed to repudiate uh, David Duke, <laughs> that, you know, I don't think Trump is like some rabid Klansman racist. I don't think he's got great views on race, but he's more of a sort of an Archie Bunker, New York City, you know, uh, doorman at the end of the bar racist who talks about the blacks and that kind of thing. I'm not condoning mm -hmm. it, but it's just not biological racism or white supremacy. Supremacy. It's just sort of like the way one tribe in New York would talk about another tribe kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, but he thought that the, that the real racists like that David Duke represented were a significant part of the GOP coalition. And he didn't want to throw them under the bus. And someone has convinced him that QAnon is now a significant part of the GOP coalition. Um, and it's sort of like the, that debate I had with Hugh Hewitt in the early days of 2016 or late in 2015, where he didn't really understand what the alt-right was and was just claiming that they were part of our coalition, um, sort of disaffected Tea Partiers. And it just wasn't the case. The alt-right guys, they got new branding, but you know, I've been squabbling with them um, in the crowd at like V-Dare and all that kind of stuff for 20 years. And any movement that sees these guys as sort of part of the popular front is a movement I can't be part of, you know? Um, right. And it shouldn't be hard to say that for all of these people. And the only reason why Trump can't say it, and it's, it's, it's and I don't think, I think very few people except for, you know, the Playmobil guy, uh, Matt Gates. Um, he looks like one of those Playmobil action figures. Um, uh, most of those guys, I don't think, give a rat's ass about QAnon or are embarrassed by QAnon, but they don't want to get crosswise with Trump. And Trump mm. won't denounce them because, I mean, it, the dead giveaway at the very beginning was, I don't know, he says, I don't know much about them, but I know they like me. And right. that is like the price of admission to the, the Trumpian coalition these days. And um, that's profoundly depressing. And how that plays out going forward, I really have no idea. Um, it does make me just ache for a Mitch Daniels presidency because mm. Mitch Daniels is the kind of serious, authentic, 
thoughtful, kind of boring. I like boring conservative that, you know, that, that knows how to govern. And that's one of the reasons why um, I highly recommend everybody tune in to the latest Bradley Foundation interview with Mitch Daniels. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode featuring Mitch Daniels, president of Purdue University. Daniels is a former governor of Indiana, a previous director of the Office of Management and Budget, and a 2013 winner of the Bradley Prize. In this episode, you'll learn more about why Purdue was one of the first universities to announce its intentions to reopen and hear some encouraging news about the student's response to returning. He's all, he also addresses the loneliness crisis among younger people and offers guidance to federal and state leaders on managing the COVID-19 pandemic. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the video. New episodes will debut weekly. So go back as often and subscribe to their YouTube channel to be notified whenever a new one is posted. We thank our friends at the Bradley Foundation for sponsoring today's episode of The Remnant. Okay, uh, my daughter is climbing around where I am, demanding um, entertainment from me and sustenance and whatnot. Um, so I'm sure we can return to many of these themes because they're not going away. And it's why we can't have nice things or why you can't. I've had some nice things in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but um, how was your stint? You had, you had your first prolonged stint of actually taking care of Zoe and Pippa, my, uh, yeah. my dogs. How was that? It was really fun, actually. Um, they, I, I really thought I was very worried about Zoe. I was not yeah. worried at all about Pippa. Pippa, I, I think, immediately loves anything that looks like it has organic matter attached to it. She yeah. just yeah. and anything with an opposable thumb that can throw a ball is right. You know exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the I think we went through um, more tennis balls than you would because I think either she is more cognizant, it seems, when you throw a tennis ball at her versus when someone like me throws a tennis ball at her to actually retrieve it. Uh -huh. Maybe she has an understanding that that's what she should do. Uh -huh. um, we went through a great many. So there might be some in the backyard still that are buried under plants. I don't even know. That's fine. But um, I was very, I was much more worried about Zoe because I just had this feeling that she's suspicious of strangers. She is. And all of that. And it turned out great. Um, she was so cooperative and very nice. Um, who knew? the way to a dog's heart was by feeding them. Um, you know, so that, that turned out pretty well and it was good. It was nice to actually explore some areas of DC that had shade in, yeah. the, in them and to understand that there's actually still some nature in this godforsaken hellscape of, of a city. Yeah. People um, who see my videos think I'm like hiking out into the woods. It's like 10 minutes from my house, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing actually. Um, yeah, they, they. I think they got a little sick of me by the end of the week. Weirdly, I think Zoe was fine with it. Pippa, I think, was was a little little sick. I think she was a little bored with me. Yeah. Um, she uh, she she got very. Um, she was very happy to see Kirsten, but I had a moment of slight panic because she seemed vaguely upset when Kirsten was in the room, as if she was trying to convince Kirsten 
that I had been. Um, no, I, I haven't really ever talked about this much, but there's this weird thing because Pippa's um crazy, and um, there's this weird thing that she has started to do in the last couple of years where Kirsten, for those who don't know, is our dog walker extraordinaire, and they love her. But every now and then, Kirsten comes to pick them up for the midday walk, and um, Pippa won't go. Mm. And Kirsten has this has to do this whole ritual where she comes into the house and she says, oh, have you been abused? Are you okay? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Do you need me to call 911? What's the safe word? All these kinds of jokes. And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden something clicks in Pippa's head and she gets really excited and starts to waggle and runs out the door. And I don't right. know what it is, um, but it's weird. And, um, and there was probably some of that going on. Um, I got to say, I really, you know, normally we can't go... My wife and I have, you know, as you will learn one day when you've been married, um, as long as I have, that there are some conversations you continually return to. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of them is that whenever we go someplace pretty, someplace with fresh water, all kind of stuff, we're just like, this is, and we don't have the dogs with us. We're like, what is the point of doing this without dogs? <laughs> um, and we were so many places where both, of, I mean, Zoe would have just disappeared chasing critters. And Pippa would have been just swimming nonstop in like this clean water that doesn't have nearly the E. coli um, content that like DC waters have. And it really makes you sort of miss them terribly. And we really did miss them a great deal. And yeah. Jessica's home with them now, so I'm sure they're very happy. And did Zoe at any point attack Gracie or, or get into a squabble with Gracie? There, there were no physical altercations, but it, they, they do have an amusing dynamic, which is that even though, I don't know what it is because Zoe could clearly, I mean, Zoe could probably, Zoe could have murdered me if she wanted to, you sure. know, it's one of the things where like Gracie is not some sort of thing that she should act like is some sort of bugaboo to her. But whenever they see each other, there's this sort of good, the bad and the ugly style showdown where they have to find a way to skirt around one another yeah. and they stare each other down and things like that. So I, that made me suspicious, but I did, I monitored every time that happened to make sure that uh, Gracie uh, was, was untouched every time. And yeah. No, they, they seem so in the Simpsons, the baby Maggie had yeah. an enemy and it's the baby from across the street with one eyebrow. <laughs> and whenever like that, they lock eyes, they do that sort of high noon. Woo! kind of staring at each other kind of thing. Like I, I have your number, I have your number. That's Gracie and Zoe to a large extent. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, well, thank you again for doing that. I appreciate it. I will be home within the, within the week. We got to drive home after the weekend. Um, we have certain traditions in the San Juans that my daughter holds me accountable to. Um, there's an Island in the middle of a pond in or small lake, big pond. I don't know what, which one it is. I actually don't know how you tell the difference between the two. Um, mm -hmm. That since Lucy was a baby, we've rented a canoe and gone out to and had a picnic on. We call it Goldberg's Island. Um, nice. And uh, so I have to do that here. And there's a couple other hikes that we have to do. Um, it did occur to me that when we were talking about conventions and the role of telephones and all that kind of stuff and how it's now a Zoom thing, though, that... Um, if you were going to try and revive the FDR approach of sort of secret dealings um, in the internet era, one indispensable tool 
would be ExpressVPN. So like, for example, imagine if you were FDR, our modern day FDR, trying to do like secret Zoom meetings with people and you didn't want anybody to know about it, you might use ExpressVPN. Or if you were, uh, you know, looking at more uh, salacious or, uh, or, or, or private, let's just say, stuff on the web and you didn't want anybody to know or you didn't want advertisers to follow you around or, you know, to, to know your habits, you should use something like ExpressVPN. In fact, you should use ExpressVPN. I know most of you are probably thinking, why don't you just use in incognito mode? But it doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browser history. Your internet service provider still sees every single website you've ever visited. That's why when you're at home, you should never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, you don't even realize you have ExpressVPN. It runs seamlessly in the background, and so it's easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you are protected. ExpressVPN is available on all of your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV, so there's no excuse for you not to be using it. So protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit expressvpn.com slash remnant, not dingo, remnant, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash remnant. We thank ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode of The Remnant, which is your promo code. All right, so uh, thanks again to our friends at ExpressVPN and all those guys. Um, and uh, I look forward, I, I, I can't say that I'm refreshed right now just because it was a very long day yesterday and I kind of am looking with dread to um, being back in DC. But at the same time, hopefully I will return a bit more refreshed and able to double down and, um, oh, I should say, oh, I should ask. So uh, how did um, David French do subbing for me? Very well, I thought. Um, people in general seem to be extremely positive. The social media response is good, and he uh, he um, he. There, there was a quite sacrilegious moment uh, where he did not get um, a Simpsons reference from Ramesh, which was quite depressing. Oh, but dear. other than that moment of heresy, he he did very well. And how was Ramesh? Because you know, Ramesh. Um has the Tyler Cowen problem of mm. extreme precision and concision in his answers. And if you haven't thought of the follow-up question with Ramesh, you can be sort of left hanging. Did, 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 did they have an organic, I haven't had a chance to listen to them. Um, it's like the well, only episodes of the remnant I'll actually I, listen to. Yeah. I, I can understand that. I didn't, I, I refused to listen to the episode that I was on previously because I'm so horrified, but, um, no, that I think it was all right. the The flow in the moment when we were recording seemed pretty good. I think maybe because they both have the Tyler Cowen problem. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe the the years of of lawyeries or legalese have made it so that they both know exactly what they're going to say. They say what they're going to say, and then they immediately stop talking. 
Yeah. So it was a perfect sort of, it was like watching a very graceful tennis match. It was very, it's very beautiful. Um, hey, hold on one second. Say hello. Hello. That's my daughter, Lucy. Um, and I figured we should get her voice. We should establish who she is so that she can do the sign off at the end of this thing. Uh, Lucy, did you have fun in Alaska? Yes. Did you have fun in Snake River? Absolutely. Are you looking forward to going back to school? No. Um, do you miss your cat, Gracie? I do. Okay, so everybody, thanks so much for doing all this. Thank you to David French for subbing for me. Um, thank you for everybody else for putting up with uh, my strange summer schedule. And hopefully we'll be back with uh, killer guests and um, blazing insights and tasteful nudity soon enough. And until then, I'll see you next time. No, you won't, Daddy. This is a podcast. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.